Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran, and today's show is brought to you by Wheeler Financial, a division of Pitney Bowes that helps business owners get the equipment financing they need to grow their companies. My guest today is Chad Mutre, Chief Economist of the National Association of Manufacturers. Today, Chad and I are gonna discuss the state of manufacturing in the United States and what we can expect for the rest of 2020 with a glimpse into 2021. With that, I'd like to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Chad Mutre. Chad, welcome. Always great to hear from you, Brian. We've obviously known each other for years, and so this is the first time on this podcast, so I'd love to- Yeah, well, hopefully it's not the last time. So hopefully we we can, ask the smart questions that our listeners want to ask you. Yeah. And, um, and uh, that this is the first of many opportunities for us to interact. Sure. Sure. So yeah. uh, you, you ask about the manufacturing sector. So um, uh, I guess we'll get straight to it, right? What's, what's happening? Yeah. What is the state of manufacturing right now in the United yeah. States? So, I mean, we've seen obviously like, like everyone else, uh, the abrupt stoppage of activity in the U S I mean, has hit manufacturing hard. Not as hard as the, the service sector, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, we've seen manufacturing production fall about 18.5% from February to April. Uh, right. uh, you see you know, the numbers when you look at sentiment data, when you look at a lot of other figures uh, off the charts, certainly the worst we've seen since the Great Recession. Um, in some cases, uh, you're seeing numbers that are the worst ever, right, um, in survey history or whatever, but mostly just since the Great Recession. Uh, we just released a survey today, actually, uh, uh, on the overall outlook. Thirty, but roughly a third of our members are positive about their company's outlook. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the worst since uh, the first quarter of two thousand nine, uh, and well down from seventy five percent who said that in in in, in March. So, uh, again, a pretty large drop in overall activity. Uh, now, the good news is right. Um, at least in my view, I think that we're over the worst of it, right? So you're starting to get a lot of data points uh, for May, uh, which suggest that you're starting, well, even while things are still weak, uh, they're moving in the right direction. The rate of decline uh, has slowed down. Um, uh, and I think that we, are, we have begun that slow ascent up. Um, I, I'm one of the people who subscribe to us being in a checkmark recovery or a swoosh, whatever word you want to use. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and uh, I think that uh, while we're going to have GDP fall 32.5% or something along those lines, kind wow. of jaw dropping, um, I see numbers as high as minus 40, but I, I still mm. have 32.5% in my forecast for the, for the second quarter. Uh, we're going to see an equally jaw dropping number up, right? Uh, third quarter GDP, at least for right now, I have it as plus 16%. Um, wow. But you know, so even with those kind of volatility there, uh, I still have us down four and a half percent GDP for the year, and manufacturing production down six point six percent for the year. So I see that we're over the worst of it, but I think the ascent up is going to be a climb, and I don't see us getting back to our pre-recessionary levels of output until twenty twenty-two. Wow, really? It's gonna so you know people talk about the the U curve versus the V curve. Right. So is this more of, you know, when you talk about a, a, a big bounce back in, in Q3, I think you said it was going to be plus 16%. Yeah. 
but that doesn't get us yeah. nearly, you know, back on the track that we were in January and February. That's right. That's right. Uh, keep in mind, people are still going to be hesitant about getting out there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, we're starting to see reopenings around the country, but there's still going to be hesitance out there about getting out in public. There's still going to be social distancing in mind, right? Right. In terms of going to restaurants and bars and ball games, et cetera. Right. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind, we've had 40 million Americans that have filed for unemployment insurance in the last right. 10 weeks. 40 million Americans, right? Yeah. Out, of a, out of a workforce of around 150 million when the, all this began, right? So uh, you're going to have an unemployment rate that's it's at least 20% when we get the latest data next week. Um, and the unemployment rate is going to improve, right? Mm-hmm, but it's, mm-hmm. I still have us having an unemployment rate of around 10% by year's end, right? To put that number in perspective, 10% was the worst number we had in the Great Recession. So you still are going to have a lot of headaches in the labor market, and I think that's going to slow down uh, the path to growth. Um, uh, what is unique about this downturn, this recession, is also it has hit the service sector disproportionate to anyone else. So it's hit lower-income Americans, minorities, mm-hmm. disadvantaged groups, harder women, more harder. Um, contrast that with the Great Recession, which typically hit more male-dominated sectors, right? So manufacturing, construction uh, got the brunt of the last recession. So this is a completely different downturn than before, and that, that will certainly affect our ability to come up to where we were before. Right. Um, yeah, I read the, the, the Monday um, economic report that you put out, um, and it seems like all 19 sectors in manufacturing experience declines. Um, do you see, when do you, when do you see them all coming back and do you see certain sectors rebounding more quickly than others? Well, certainly, you know, all of them had the hardest hit, right? The, the worst of them obviously was motor vehicles, which I think was down 70 something percent mm-hmm. uh, in the month of April alone in terms of wow. production. Keep in mind, though, that most auto factories closed for several weeks, and so they're going to start coming online here, although clearly at a different demand point than they were before. Um, So I I do expect some sectors will bounce back a little quicker. The pharmaceutical sector, um, obviously in New Jersey, that's important for you. Uh, uh, Food, obviously, has changed a lot in terms of where people buy food, but Mm -hmm. they were not hit as hard as other other components of, of manufacturing. I think anything that's heavy, heavy durable goods, um, uh, machinery, autos, aerospace is going to bounce back a little slower than, than what it was before. Yeah. Global, this is a global recession, not just a U.S. recession. Sure. It will affect our ability to export those products. The other comment to make is that it doesn't get a lot of press, but the energy sector has been hit really hard, right? Mm, yeah. Everyone focuses on how great low low gasoline prices are for the consumer, although not that anyone's taken advantage of it. Uh, for the for manufacturers, obviously, uh, are very ingrained in the energy sector, sell a lot into the energy sector. And as you've seen, the price of oil fall to historic lows, right? We haven't seen these levels for a long time. No. It's really affecting that the whole energy sector and its supply chain. So I think that'll take a while to come back as well. I, I read an interesting byproduct of the the issues with the oil and gas industry, that uh, carbon dioxide is a byproduct of the ethanol production that's used in the soda and beer services, like in in bars and restaurants. Or I I can't remember exactly how it was framed, but uh, you can expect higher prices for beer and soda 
because they're not able to access enough carbon dioxide in the manufacturing of those products. <laughs> I had not heard that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm still, you know, I, you know, I have a publishing background, so I'm still committed to reading four newspapers a day, every day, um, and the physical newspapers. I don't read digital papers. So at this point, you know, it's getting to be, I can't remember whether I saw it in the Times, the Journal, the Bergen Record, or the New York Post, but I saw it in one of them, and I found it to be very interesting. So, um one area that, that we didn't tap into, which is critical, obviously, in our recovery is the retail sector, right? So retail spending, I know, fell, uh, it was about 16, 16.4% in April, yeah. which is, the, I know, the largest monthly decline in almost 30 years. Uh, and that's on top of a big decrease in March. Yeah. Um, so what what about the retail sector? You know, is is we know it's going to come back somewhat when businesses start to reopen. Uh, but do you think that this is going to be the beginning of a more permanent shift to buying online? And, and how, how much trouble will retail be in then? I mean, we already were seeing that. I mean, there already was, I mean, if you were really weak coming into COVID-19, you're really, and that's why you're starting to see some bankruptcies for companies that probably were hanging on by a shoestring before that. Right. Yeah. Um, we already were seeing a trend away from the malls, away from de- you know some department stores, et cetera, uh, and on to online. We've seen that brick and mortar versus online kind of dynamic for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is exacerbating that. Um, the other component there, and this is true not just of retail, but of anything in leisure and hospitality or really any business, no business model is set up to have no revenue for a long period of time, right? Right, um, right. And, and so the challenge here is even as some of these retailers come open, um, with social distancing in mind and with people hes- hesitant about getting out, assuming that is, plays itself out as we expect, uh, these retailers are still going to have trouble, right? Right. And so yeah. they're not out of the woods. And, and I think the number of bankruptcies, that, this from what I've heard from retail analysts that I've talked to, um, this is, this is going to be an ongoing issue, right? right. Um, and and uh, so I, I do expect the retail sales will bounce back strongly, right? I do think that consumer spending, there's a lot of pent-up demand for consumer mm-hmm. spending to get out there and go back and out and eat and buy things. Uh, but, but given the labor market dynamics we talked about earlier, given the social distancing and hesitance, at least until there's a vaccine, um, I do think that they're going to be weaker than we would prefer. I, yeah, and I see that as well. And it's interesting how some areas of retail have done well uh, in a pandemic. And, and I remember reading about local bicycle shops in New Jersey where they said they've never been busier. And all of a sudden, everyone is uh, is pulling their old bicycles out of the garage and getting them all fixed up and so that they can ride around. Anything that, anything that you can do around the house is going to be in heavy demand. I, I actually heard Walmart CEO on CNBC a week or so saying that they ran out of adult bikes. Uh, yeah, so get them in, yeah. well, that's good. Maybe a little more exercise, a little more outdoor time. Um, right, let, let's shift a little bit, and and because this is something that was, I, I feel like the U.S. got exposed um, in March with uh, our supply chain. Right. And how uh, I think people were very surprised at how much of our um, products and services come from China. 
whether it's uh, PPE or it's um, the toys and phones and everything, right, that China was producing. Do you think that from a manufacturing standpoint, this is going to either force companies or make companies revisit the idea of domestic supply chains for their products? Yes, uh, I think that we already were seeing people reevaluating their supply chain before COVID-19, given the trade war and given a lot of other kind of events that we've seen over the last few years. People were saying, well, maybe we should move out of China into other pockets of Southeast Asia or Mexico or wherever it might be. And obviously, a lot of it's coming back here as well. COVID has certainly changed that conversation again, right? People are saying, maybe I need to have more than one supplier for some of the products that I'm buying, or maybe we need to move some of that back to the U.S. Um, from the NAM's perspective, the National Association of Manufacturers obviously advocates for more production in the U.S. Yeah. And we released something on our website. Uh, you can go up and look at it at nam.org called uh, the American Renewal Action Plan, right? Where we're really advocating a number of proposals really to do just that. Uh, and as part of that, we, we did something just yesterday called strengthening the manufacturing supply chain. So it's a number of proposals out there really to help, like, like with tax incentives and work, you know, trying to encourage more workforce development, et cetera, and innovation, again, to try to get more production in the U.S. So I encourage you to go look at that. Um, yeah. the, other, the other comment I would make there is, is since, you know, this is actually the NAM's 125th anniversary, so we were going to be celebrating you know, being in existence since 19, since 1895, sorry. Wow. Um, and we had a huge Creators Wanted campaign, which is still happening. It's just going to be postponed a little bit. And we've really re-geared up to something now as Creators Respond, right? Given the conversation um, about the lack of PPE, you know, not having enough ventilators, not having enough masks, not having a lot of other stuff that we need really to get back to normal. Um, and so we've gone out and asked manufacturers, um, again, trying to measure what that demand is. Mm -hmm. Can you make more ventilators? Can you make more masks, et cetera? And, and, and uh, trying to work with FEMA and, and, and the Department of Defense and, and Pence's office to try to make sure that we can line up enough producers to be able to produce what we need uh, to be able to get back to normal. So that, if that campaign is creators respond and we've tried making sure that the manufacturers are part of the solution there as much as possible. So is that, is that something like a, a government incentive to, to produce it domestically? Well, in some cases, there are domestic incentives. I mean, certainly you've had the president invoke the, the Defense Production Act. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think just in general, I think for the most part, you've had manufacturers say, step up and say, hey, I, I, I want to do the right thing here, uh, and I mm -hmm. can make PPE, you know, whatever that is. And, and we've actually got people saying, yeah, we, we can do it, let's, let's do it. Uh, and so... Um, that's, I think, a nice encouraging sign of American manufacturers stepping up to be the solution, whether that's with vaccines or whether that's with PPE or whatever else. Um, and I, I do think, as you said, that will lead to hopefully more production in the U.S. of yeah. materials moving forward. Well, I, I think that can certainly um, reduce the rate of unemployment if we're bringing some more jobs back home, right? And and saying, okay, we, you know, we used to produce this abroad. We're now going to be producing this in the United States. So we need people who can help us make it yeah. in 2021. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I see that. What about non-essential items? So in particular, I guess when looking at the supply chain, do you think that more small and mid-sized companies now are going to start asking more questions about um, where their products and services are being uh, sourced from? 
Yes, I do think that. As I said earlier, I think everyone is reevaluating their supply chain. And I think we're, even the non-essential items, people are saying, okay, where am I sourcing this from? Where can I source it differently, right? Or how can I source it from a different, couple different places? Uh, so that if this happens again, I'm not kind of caught in a lurch. Uh, so I think that's something that's ongoing and happening. Um, and almost every facility. I think the other thing that's almost certainly going to change, and we, we saw this in the survey that we released, the Outlook survey today, uh, about two-thirds of our members said that they're going to re-engineer their production process with social engineering in mind, right? So I think manufacturing is going to look a little different moving forward, not just in terms of sourcing, but also in terms of how we operate. Um, Will there be a big Buy American campaign? <laughs> remember, I can't remember when that, when was that, Chad? Was that in the 80s? Buy, buy America. We're both dating ourselves by even remembering that. But, but yes, there there is a, a Buy American campaign. Uh, yeah, that's putting that out there. Yeah, um, I, I definitely. You know, in, in the our listeners are mostly small and mid sized business owners, and in talking to them over the last couple of months and just trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening, they're all very concerned, certainly about how their supply chains were interrupted. And now that they're reopening their their doors and and their businesses, uh, the concern about inventory, yeah. right? Um, they they said, you know, I, I realize that half is better than nothing, but yeah. you know, it's it's going to be a, a very sluggish recovery if I'm constantly running out of products and services. And they and and for a number of them, they didn't, you know, because they buy from a distributor who sources it from somewhere else who sources it from someone else, you know, they eventually look far enough down the road to see where their products and services were coming from. And I think it was alarming to them at um, just how um, captive they were with it. And, and what I'm seeing now is they're certainly saying, where else can I get this? Uh, one quick example. Um, I had somebody on a previous podcast who develops toothpaste. Now he he is a toothpaste product. He's a he's a dentist, and um, the toothpaste is made in the United States in in four or five different facilities. But the toothpaste tubes are made in China. And now he's looking both. He found somebody domestically, but he's also found somebody in Ireland and Turkey who can also make it. So I think to your point, this is definitely going to be one of the biggest conversations that business owners have and whether there's an incentive or there is, um, would there be legislation to say, we now, we now need to source things domestically first? Well, I would you know, definitely encourage you to go on to the NAM's page and look at the, what I mentioned earlier, reading the title here, because I don't want to get it wrong. Strengthening the manufacturing supply chain and just a whole series of proposals here. We're all on tax incentives and, et cetera, policy-wise that we're advocating for to get more made in the U.S. Uh, and I, and I, th I think that there is, as you mentioned, a clamor for that happening amongst manufacturers, especially the small and medium-sized ones. Yeah, I think this is definitely something that, that I want to revisit with you um, as we move forward because the situation is so fluid um, yeah. that, um, you know, it's interesting that you say, we won't recover to what 2022 is what you yes. what you said, and, and by that you mean is that is that where we would have been in February or March of this year? 
we won't be back to January or February levels of output until 2022. Okay. I see us growing between now and then, obviously, but yeah. the, the hole is, it's going to take a while for us to dig ourselves out of this hole. But all right, let me, let me play devil's advocate to that because we were in, I mean, we had a hell of a run, right? Uh, almost not what, 10, 11 years of yes. a bull, bull market. Right. And, um, so to that level, I mean, everybody thought there would be a recession in 2020, right? In 2019, we said, okay, the bubble is going to burst. We just don't know when. And then it's interesting because I had written a, a, a blog post for Pitney Bowes and I had interviewed a number of experts and they all said the same thing. Interestingly enough, all of the economic indicators were strong, but every one of them said, they're a little concerned about this coronavirus and that if it does move outside China, that could disrupt the markets. Yeah. I mean, we, we were at the mountaintop in, in January, at the end of January. I mean, every, you know, the fear of recession was gone. All economic indicators were strong. And it was like, okay, let's step on the, on the uh, pedal. Right, it, it's it's an election year. Everything seems like they, they, they didn't seem like there were any um, concerns, and then all of a sudden, of course, you fall off the cliff. Yeah. So to get back to that level, though, in what would I guess be eighteen months, is That's actually pretty impressive. Yeah, that would be pretty quick. Okay. We, what makes this recession unique, again, is that we, we did this to ourselves, right? <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. We, the whole desire to flatten the curve was we told businesses they couldn't operate or limit their operations. We told Americans they have to stay home. And, 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 and because of, of that, um, we've seen this historically large decline in output. Uh, again, you would expect that. That says that people were, did what they were told to do, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, but because of the uniqueness of it, this is not a typical business cycle where some, you know, uh, demand fell off the cliff or there was a financial crisis or what, you know, this, this, we, we stumbled into this crisis uh, in, in kind of a unique right. way. And once things get back to normal, quote unquote, um, you would expect activity to pick up again because it wasn't like we went into this in a normal business cycle way where inventories got, People weren't buying stuff, and 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 you know suddenly more people got unemployed, and there's a financial crisis. It wasn't that type of downturn, um, right? That lends itself to more of a V-shaped than normal. Uh, but uh, again, the severity of it is really what keeps us from um, even one, even if it's 18 months or two years to get back to normal. That's pretty fast, but but still, it's 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 a pretty de- steep descent and and, and work up. So. And, and I agree 100% with what you're saying. What, what, I guess one other question I have, too, is just from a, um, let's call it a government incentive program or a financing program. I mean, th- th- it seems like there could be potentially a lot of um, money put into domestic manufacturing. Do you see that as part of maybe any kind of future stimulus program or government, you know, kind of the, the New Deal? program where, you know, government paid for infrastructure back in the 30s to get us out of the Great Depression. Do you think that there will be some kind of um, economic or financial incentive or low, low, you know, low rates of loans 
to companies that are um, in the manufacturing sector to do it domestically. Uh, so we actually are asking for that very thing. We're asking for investments in manufacturing to make sure we make more in the U.S., uh, to make sure that American manufacturing can stay competitive, that the dollars add up and 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 whether that's tax credits or whether that's incentives for a better workforce or innovation, we're actually asking for those types of investments in the manufacturing sector. Yeah, I, I think that's a great opportunity. And I think, you know, retraining American workers yeah. for the new job opportunities that could be coming back. That seems, you know, we, I don't know that we'll ever return to the days where we were considered to be a manufacturing economy. Um but I do certainly think that we can add a significant amount of jobs and opportunities and protect ourselves in future pandemics if we are in control of certainly our essential items and, and medical and yeah. safety, but even the non-essential uh, will, will cause less of a disruption if we, have, if we don't have to wait as long for inventory. I think one of the other interesting aspects of the survey, the Outlook survey, is half of our members say that... Uh, they still expect to have challenges finding talent over the next couple of years. Despite the fact the unemployment rate is you know, 20% right now, we just lost 1.3 million workers in the manufacturing sector. Yet, we realize that moving forward, right? Yeah. Uh, baby boomers are still going to retire at some point. Uh, and where is that next generation of worker going to come from? So structurally, we're still going to go back to the challenge of the inability to find talent, the, one, the ones that we need. Um, that was the number one issue for the last couple of years, not just for manufacturing, but in every sector. Uh, and our, our members are telling us that they think it's going to return to being an issue in 2021 and 2022. And these are skilled jobs, skilled positions? Skilled and high paying jobs. I mean, so, uh, yeah. You, you know, uh, I mean, I think about all of the struggles that the colleges and universities are going to have come the fall when they reopen and, and they realize, you know, if they, if they try and go online, how many students will be reevaluating their college experience. To me, that opens the door for some of them to pivot and say, we're going to start offering classes and majors to people who want skilled and high paying jobs in manufacturing. Yeah. It, it just seems like the ripple effect. This is a no-brainer, right? Even for somebody as dumb as me, <laughs> right? Where you can you can see how we can develop this whole industry and, and expand on it naturally and, and through supportive efforts. You have schools that are, are teaching students the skills that they need because you think about how our economy was changing anyway, right? How artificial intelligence and technology were, were taking away so many jobs from people. Now you reposition it and say, we're going to support this industry and we're going to open up hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs. Yeah. And I think the other thing to keep in mind, manufacturing is, is not your grandfather's manufacturing. It's very, right. very high skilled. Um, and that changes the type of worker we need. And so we're also competing against Sectors you might not think of. We're think, competing against Silicon Valley for, for workers. We're competing against, you know, in the pharma side, you know, we hire PhDs and, and MDs and, you know, rocket scientists and stuff. So I, I do think that also changes the way you think about manufacturing because the workers we're, we're hiring, yes, we still have your average factory worker, but we are also hiring in sectors that we're really competing against some of the big guys there. 
I think there's a lot more to this story. And, and unfortunately, we have come to the witching hour, which I hate because I love the, the, the whole topic that we're talking about. And I think that this is going to be talked about a lot over the next couple of months as things start to kind of, you know, kind of the water goes back out to the ocean and we see the damage that is done and, and we start to think about solutions for our economy. I think this is going to be top of mind with a lot of local, state, and even the federal government about ways that we can kind of restart our economy. Uh, it's going to be through manufacturing. So I'd love to be able to invite you back on and, and hopefully you'll say yes. And we can That's look cool. at uh, your, your Monday morning quarterback report that you put together. Um, if people wanted to get more information that you put out, you mentioned your website, yeah. uh, nam.org. They can also follow me on Twitter uh, or LinkedIn, but on Twitter, I'm at Chad Moutre. So at C-H-A-D-M-O-U-T-R-A-Y. Uh, Great. And, uh, that's a and good place to follow. We'll list a lot of the resources that you mentioned in the podcast. I'll put them on the on the the podcast page, so with the links to it, and so that everybody can connect to it. Okay. Chad, this has been fantastic. Thank you. I'm so glad that that we connected on this topic. I know I'm going to want to have you back to talk more about what's happening in manufacturing as we start to reopen the economy. Uh, for all our listeners, I appreciate your taking the time to listen to us today. I appreciate your feedback, your questions, your suggestions, and keep them coming because I, we do listen to them and, and we do try and get the type of guests that uh, you want to have on our show. I'm Brian Moran. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast. Today's guest is Chad Mutre, the chief economist of the National Association of Manufacturing. And you're going to want to get copies of that Monday uh, economic report that they put out um, if you follow the manufacturing sector and uh, make sure you visit their website because there will be opportunities for all businesses as we continue to move forward. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day and we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bones. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.